Early marriage seems to be more and more a thing of the past, like a, a relic of an era gone by. According to the government census, which I don't know how much I trust, but it says this, on census.gov, most adults born in 1940 to 1944 were married by the age of 25. 79.6% of women, 65.3% of men. So uh, during World War II, 80% of women were married by the age of 25. Half a century later, the change was dramatic. Only 30% of women and 20% of men born from 1990 to 1994 were married by age 25. So you have a fall off. Just looking at the gals, it drops from 80 down to 30. 50% drop in wow. that amount of time. And how bad it's gotten over the last 20 years since then, I know it has gotten worse. I don't have the actual numbers, but more and more people are opting to get married much later. Why is that? And what does it mean? Furthermore, not only are people opting to get married later, many folks are not getting married at all. Now, that's an issue we're going to talk about, but on its face, what we see is a massive, massive cultural shift. What we want is really strong men and women and families. Marriage provides really the stability for the family unit. And what is a society but a makeup of all those families? How in the world can you have a strong country if you don't have strong families? And the fact is, you can't. We're going to talk about all of that, uh, marrying younger and a lot of folks choosing not to marry at all what it means, why it happens, and we're going to kind of build a case, some pros and cons, just have an honest discussion about it. And it all starts now. John Level Show, here we go. Before we jump in, I ask you to check out our website, guys. we got all kinds of goodies. It's curated by us, so it's only the good stuff. You see our training tab. You can come train with us. You see our travel tab. You can go on a trip with me. You see our shopping tab where we have medical and body armor and belts and blades, optics, lights, slings, all kinds of stuff. New shirts are out, and they are really, really cool. I'm wearing them all the time. Guys, check out WarriorPoetSociety.com. Please support the brand. We appreciate you, and let's jump in. I almost married the wrong girl. I wanted to get married years before I actually did. I got married at 24, but I was primed ready with a girl I wanted to marry at something like 21. And I'd written out all how I was going to propose. I'll go ahead and tell you because it's a fun story. Uh, in high school, my high school sweetheart, I made her a burn CD. Judge me. You did it too. All of you, you did it. <laughs> but on there, I was just putting a bunch of sappy, sweet songs. One of them was Garth Brooks's Unanswered Prayers. The song is about high school sweethearts that intend to marry, but then they don't. They go their separate ways. They both get married off. They confront each other many years down the road at a high school football game, so a bit of a reunion, and the singer is there musing, I thank God for unanswered prayers. If he had answered my prayer, I would have married this girl, and I wouldn't have met my future wife. And so I gave her this song, which made no sense. No, that makes zero sense, John. I don't understand why you would give her that song. Well, I didn't give it much thought. I'm just like, this song sounds sweet. Here is my mixtape. Great so, melody. <laughs> but she called me out of like, so why this song? And I'm like, because it sounds sweet. Then I listened to lyrics and I'm like, um, whatever. And so I kind of resolved of like, well, that won't be us. We'll be something different. And so I wrote out a proposal. I was overseas in Afghanistan, one of my tours there. And I wrote, rewrote the song, uh, Garth Brooks' 
unanswered prayers. You rewrote Garth Brooks. Right. So instead, in in that thing, it was an answered prayers song. And the idea is, is I did marry my high school sweetheart, and I'm asking her to marry me in that song. Now, this was particularly bold of me because I'm not a songwriter, and I'm definitely not a song singer, but I was going to take up the guitar and do this elaborate proposal. And now, in retrospect, I'm such a devastatingly horrible singer. Even if she loved me and it was a romantic gesture, the execution would have been so dismally off, she would have said no. She would have had to. The song would have been that fingernails on a chalkboard horrible. She would have been compelled, forced to say no. So it's a good thing that it didn't come about. But needless to say, her and I broke up. I never did sing the song, answered prayers to her. And uh, so, uh, you know, ended up that song was appropriate. Uh, I, I didn't marry her. Very apropos. And so uh, here I am eating crow saying, like, well, thank God for unanswered prayers because, man, I married the right one. If you marry really young, you run the risk of marrying someone that you thought was the best one for you and really, really wasn't. I was sure. I mean, uh, passions were high, and I thought she was amazing. I dated her for years, and she's a great gal, just not for me, obviously. But I didn't know that. And when you decide to marry really young, you run the risk. Now, I'm not out there thinking like many folks out there of like, Who's the one? Like, there's one special one for you out there in this new age conception, like the law of attraction and the universe brings you together kind of thing. And it's just her and you. Of like, how do you know you got the right one? Well, the right one is the one you marry. It's the one, it's more uh, of the commitment you make. Who's the right one? It's the one you marry. I'm like, well, I don't think we're really compatible. Well, then become compatible because it's all built on the decision, the um, the covenant of I'm going to love you for richer, for poor, in uh, sickness and in health, for better, for worse, all that stuff. So the declaration of marriage in and of itself is I promise to love you even if I'm miserable for it, even if we're very unhappy, I'm going to love you no matter what. And so even on its face, the idea of what marriage is, it's not based on this Hollywood conception of uh, gooey, feelings for each other that are going to be so Romeo and Juliet fantastic that they will carry us in just a trust tree nest of our own bubbling affections for each other uh, uh, forever. That just doesn't happen. Uh, After a few years, maybe, you, you get out of the honeymoon stage, and then you're left to look at the person that you've married and realize, man, this person is not perfect any more than I'm perfect. Then you got two fatally flawed individuals. You put them together, you get to really know the other person. A lot of the expectations of this perfect fit kind of thing is popped and you realize I got a lot of work to do for myself. She's got a lot of work for her to do. And when we put us together, if we both grow as individuals and we work on a relationship in a common goal, then our marriage can get up on plane and thrive and take you as a person to heights that you couldn't possibly get, or would be extremely hard to get on your own. You find this, um, camaraderie in this best friendship, in this deep affection that no human relationship on all the earth can compare to what a husband and wife are capable of growing together. And so that's what I've enjoyed in my 16 years. Not all of them were amazing years. We had a couple really, really tough years. We've had some, yeah, very challenging years, a couple years that weren't very good at all. And we've had some spectacular ones. We've really figured some stuff out. But 
man, I think back to if I had pulled the trigger, you know, 20 years old, 21 years old. And back then I really felt like I was sure on it. Now I was a bit adrift. I didn't have good counselors around me verifying. It was just me, her, and I didn't really give a rip what anyone else said. And that's a clue of like, man, if you're going to marry young, because you could make that possible mistake that I almost made, it's really important that you have wiser people around you that are verifying, that can see past your heavy affections for this person. Because you can be so blinded by it and the intensity of that, that you just completely lose your brain and you miss all these red flag signals that hopefully parents or people within your church or uh, other people that have known that person for a very long time, they can catch up on clues and you'd best listen to uh, good wisdom and good counselors. And so when I say this, I've already shared my personal story that got, that should be received a bit of a warning against folks marrying young. I'd be like, no, actually, I still maintain that marrying younger is better, all things, uh, you know, all, all things considered. Now, I have a few more caveats of one is you do need some wise counselors, uh, folks around you, you trust their judgment, and you really weigh heavy on it. Don't just trust your own hormones, bros. I know she's pretty. I know. I get it. I get it. There'll be other pretty ones too, but this is forever you're talking about. And so you really do need wise counsel. I really am a fan of marrying younger though, uh, provided a few more caveats. One is you understand what marriage it is. It is a commitment for better or for worse. That's the deal. That's what you're signing up for. So if you uh, treat marriage like it's a contract love, like I love you for as long as you make me feel happy and vice versa, your marriage is a ticking time bomb because you're going to have some really bummed out bad years where you're not happy. And the idea is, is I will go through the mire of some bad, unhappy years because I realize a greater joy is on the other side. And I'm also going to be forced to grow as an individual that's capable of a good marriage. And that's part of the next caveat is, are you capable of actually being married? Could you show somebody all of your ugly, be vulnerable like that, see all of their ugly stuff as well, and love them even though that that is true? Your selfishness will ultimately bump into their selfishness, and you've got to be able to be okay with that. Now, there's great beauty in this, and I think Jordan Peterson does a fantastic job pointing this out, that in this kind of uh, we-burn-the-ships type of commitment, better or worse, richer for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. It's only in that kind of arrangement, not like a dating arrangement, not in a cohabitating arrangement, in this agreement where we're not going anywhere. It's only in that security where you can really bear your soul, and it's the only arrangement that you really will bear your soul. You'll be holding something back always, but when you're able to vulnerably thrust yourself forward like this, you're able to truly know them in the greatest depths of them and be fully known. In that fully know them and fully be known, that's the foundation that makes this marital love actually possible. And so people out there, because we'll, we'll address kind of the red pill guys, they have no idea what, I'm, what I just said. Uh, that they have no conception of it. They'll think that they can get all the benefits of marriage just from cohabitating and dating. So we can pack that open uh, a little bit later here in the show. But for now, I want to, uh, with those caveats already being covered, I want to deal with some benefits and some cons to marrying younger. The first benefit to marrying somebody when you are younger in age. So 
21, 22, 24, whatever, so, somewhere in there in your early 20s, uh, right? I've, I've got a buddy who's amazing marriage, and I think he got married at 19, very, very young. Wow. Uh, anyway, it's because you get to kind of raise each other before you become really set in your ways. You imagine an old bachelor, you've been living your certain way for an amount of time and to invite somebody into your life that's going to bring all kinds of chaos and their own way of doing stuff. It can become very, very difficult as you have become, as an adult, more concreted in the ways that you are. You have a way that you do something, and when somebody comes in and disrupts that, oh, that's problematic. Uh, you also have all this time that you're used to being able to wield for yourself. And so later, you know, in your 30s or your 40s, it becomes far, far more difficult to be elastic enough to have room to blend a life together. What, what, what a lot of folks have to do is, I've got my life, you've got your life, we'll put them together and hope that works out. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't blend the lives. Then you got like separate bank accounts and separate habits and separate hobbies and separate, all kinds of different separation. The whole point of marriage is, is like, nope, there's no separation. The two become one. So when you're young, that can happen. You're, you're in, you know, the fight of your lives to maybe you're getting through college or you're... John, did you uh, have college roommates? You, you went to college for a bit. Did you have college? Did you share a space with college roommates? So this is a good point of how used to you, how used to living with people are. Right, like, right. Imagine you're an only child and you get married at 30 something years old. You've never had a roommate before of like, you are in for the, doesn't matter how much you love them. <laughs> this is going to be wildly difficult because you haven't cohabitated with somebody. You better love them a lot because they're about to drive you banana sandwich. There's no chance yeah. Yeah. they're not going to drive you nuts. And you're going to have to have a whole lot of give and take. You can grit your teeth through it for a year or two, kind of like, all right, they're just letting the dishes soak right. and uh, they don't clean up after themselves. There's always going to be one clean person in a marriage and then the other one's a little bit more disheveled and disorganized, you know? Uh, imagine <laughs> if it wasn't so, maybe you like two extremely organized or in this perpetual one-up OCD contest. It would still be the same disaster, really. Still. Yeah. I mean, to be a college roommate, perhaps that's why you want to do that like when you're 21, 22, because imagine trying to do that when you're 31, 32. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I would be a very, I don't know if we'd even be friends at the end of that. If I had roommates at that age, I would yeah. just be very tough. Yeah. From the time I was 15, uh, I was, I had roommates all the way up until the time I was married. So I always had roommates. And so, and it's good too, because I, I, I would have a propensity to organization, a little OCD. So yeah. when my wife and I got married, I was still ro uh, folding my socks into little perfect canoes uh, that would Seriously. line up in my sock drawer. So when you opened it, all the canoes were stacked perfectly <laughs> and lined up. All my books were in a very meticulous order. Everything, if you came in my house and just barely moved anything, I would know that somebody has moved my stuff. It's that type of meticulous attention to detail and orderliness. Hey, John, when you vacuum, do you appreciate lines on the carpet when you vacuum? Uh, not even, now I got kids. <laughs> now I got kids. So I'm just like, I'm really pumped we have a vacuum somewhere. <laughs> I don't need to know where it is because I got kids. I'm like, kids, vacuum. I'm going to go wrestle your mom. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, 
Uh, when you're able to get married younger, you're able to really roll with the punches and through a lot of adversity, you're struggling to make a living and pay bills and figure stuff out. You're going through a lot of the early difficulties of your 20s together, and that is a bonding mechanism. Uh, right? So you become so interwoven. You get really good at being buddies in the trenches, side by side, roommates. And so it is just far, far easier when you can kind of grow up with each other. You're kind of raising, uh, finishing, uh, being raised uh, together. So that's a big, big time pro, and I don't want to move on too quick and, and not really fully appreciate it because that's a big one. Uh, here, a con that I already mentioned, uh, what if you married someone that you shouldn't? There was red flags, and maybe later into a marriage, you'd be able to look back and be like, man, there's all kinds of red flags. She didn't have any real deep friendships. Uh, she had really serious boyfriends before. Why did she have really serious boyfriends before? And what... Uh, what kind of emotional scars did that leave on them, uh, right? And uh, perhaps they fell so deeply in love because they needed somebody else in this unhealthy, codependent kind of way. They weren't their own person, uh, and so they needed yeah. someone else to fill in all the gaps. And so when somebody is too quick in love, in and out of love too quick, it usually belies that this person has a fatal flaw. Something is horribly missing in their life. And they keep running around like a Romeo Juliet uh, kind of thing, running around and anybody, just anybody can help fill that for a little while. And then you got to trade up. And, and so anyway, there could be all kinds of red flags. What is her family life like? You know, that, that is a really important detail. It's not an insurmountable challenge, but it's a clue. And that's the whole point is there is uh, certainly clues. Maybe you married someone you should not. Once you married them, that's your wife. That's who you're with. And so uh, make it work. Learn to love them. If uh, Jesus says, love your enemies, and we're capable of loving enemies, then you're also capable of loving a wife that maybe didn't seem like the best pick. Nope, it's it's the commitment. If that can become a beautiful, beautiful thing. I, I yeah. Right now, I'm having stories go through my head uh, from history of people who weren't a very compatible marriage and through the striving, better or worse kind of stuff, they ended up developing a very, very awesome and sweet marriage uh, through the struggle. And it was, it, it became something really, really good. That won't be a popular opinion. I'm not throwing out there is because it's popular. I'm throwing it out there because I really believe it. So you don't have to agree. You can be wrong. Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. All right. Uh, second pro is you don't get a bunch of baggage. You know, you're not coming in of like, hey, we're getting married. We're both in our 30s. And uh, yeah, she's collecting alimony payments from husband number one and two. And we both got a few STDs, got some broken hearts, pretty darn bitter about these old relationships. And, you know, you've been struggling with loneliness for years and depression. You, you know, you got all this baggage from things that hurt you along the way. And now you hide that for a while. And then after you're married, you can kind of start bringing it out and like, and look at this horrible thing about me. And you slowly roll it out uh, like it's a jack in the box of depravity. And so you can, uh, that can be tough. Uh, if, if you're married earlier, you have far less baggage baggage that you're bringing. Marriage is hard enough when everything's kind of 
going well, but you add some serious pieces of baggage. And some of that baggage, I don't want to say it in a bad way of like, perhaps you got kids from another marriage. I'm like, well, that's your bag. Well, I love my kids. They're not bags. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, clearly you've never tr- tried to bring little toddlers through an airport. And you're just picking them up like a bundle <laughs> of firewood as they scream. Like, they case, can be they are bags. <laughs> you love your bags, but they can be baggage. You love them. Uh, <laughs> and you pick them up and you bring them home with you. You do that. <laughs> That's an expression my wife would use. Like uh, there was a year where our toddlers were just so difficult. You really couldn't eat out. Because who knows, wow. they, uh. you know, they're one and a half, two years old, yeah. and they just pitch a fit over something. And it's just a full-time job, like air traffic controller of trying to keep them happy so that you can enjoy a meal and get out. And you don't really know of like, oh, a diaper explosion. And uh, he dropped his fourth spoon and we don't have any diapers. And and this table is looking at us and we're trying to be respectful. I so, would have been that table looking at you. I'm sorry. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> well, we... we we finally decided, you know, it's so stressful. We're just not going to eat out much yeah. in that year. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you brave the storm and you're like, I think we can do it, you know, and then end up World War Three breaks out. They're crying for nothing. And you end up scooping them up and you carry them out like a bundle of firewood under your arm. I'm like, sorry, everyone. You are <laughs> see that you next dad. year. <laughs> and John's saying bye to people as he's leaving. I can also see that happening. Adler years with our uh, very strong-willed boys at one and a half, two and a half, uh, really, really challenging stuff. Uh, they send the terrible twos. We had the terrorist twos. And so anyway, that, that can be, uh, that can be tough. All right. Con number two, men aren't growing up as fast as they used to. This means that men, because you're not growing up into your own, we're extending adolescence where you graduate high school. And then most folks will just by default go off to college where they will extend adolescence into finding themselves and partying and having fun and chasing skirts. And uh, you're waking up late uh, and staying up late. You're not, you're not standing on your own two feet um, shouldering a bunch of responsibility and normal hours like a man might do providing for himself and his others. Instead, you've extended adolescence. And so now you've gotten out of college and you're 23 years old. And then you go back and you move in with mom for a little while because you don't really know what else to do. And so the problem is, is in, um, in not becoming men earlier, uh, like a homestead growing up in early America, well, like you're running a farm at 16, you're doing all kinds of stuff uh, that is really challenging, hard work. You know, you're muscled with calluses on your hands with all kinds of copious amounts of responsibility. You're up before the sun taking care of stuff in almost all of human life, all of human history. Kids had to grow up quicker, uh, whether it was just basic survival was very tough. Now, survival it's hard, but it's not nearly as hard as it used to where it meant of like, you remember playing that old video game, Oregon Trail? You're like, Timmy died of dysentery. It was just, I wore the shirt yesterday. Really? Kid, I did. Kids drop in dead of like his survival rates of people. It was just, it was all life has been harder uh, than it is now in our day of like, we, we've got survival so down packed, we can devote hours of our day to just scrolling technology and watching movies and stuff. We have enough free time that you can watch hours of entertainment per day. That wasn't, that wasn't even an option for most of human history. Survival required too much energy and time. So as a result, men are not growing up as fast as uh, we should. 
And, and if you're not standing on your own two feet, well, then you certainly haven't got all your own affairs in line. If you don't have your own affairs online, you can't become a leader of other people's affairs. And so de facto, with third wave feminism entrenched deeply into our culture as the default, uh, men are not able to actually finally got married. Uh, I was a man and a leader, but not nearly the man and leader that I am now. I'm far more uh, ready to lead a household than I was back then. Uh, And I was more ready at, you know, 24 when I got married, than other men were when they were at 24. But uh, anyway, it, it's just something it's to purpose. know. It's purpose. I think purpose yeah. is a huge driver of helping a, a man understand where he's supposed to go and who he's supposed to be, be becoming. And John, I remember you reflecting that at, at what you said, 24, you'd already lived some tremendous life experiences. Right. And, and I remember you telling me that when you landed back in the States, you knew exactly what you wanted to do you know, with the kind of people you were looking for too. Yeah. And so I think that, that, that is, that was a sense of purpose that, uh, that hard work and, and days gone by gave young men and we suffer a purposeless existence. Most young men nowadays do. And that makes it very hard to get traction. Who you marry is such a big decision. Second biggest decision you ever make. First one is who you worship. You can worship yourself. You can worship, uh, the God of the Bible. You can worship Jesus. Uh, you can worship something, whatever, sports or money or career. Yep. We, we are machines that worship. That's what we do. And so number one decision is what will you spend yourself on? What is going to be worthy of your life's focus? What's going to define you? And that what defines you is what you worship. Uh, and I choose to worship Jesus. So that is my number one most important. Uh, you, you can have your own. I'm just saying that is that is a thing. Uh um, that you'll have to flesh out. Most important decision. Uh, and the second most is, who do you marry? Who are you going to marry? And, uh, I mean, you, you marry a gal. Corinthians 7 talks about being equally yoked, and that means somebody who is in the faith, same faith structure as you. They see the world like you do. They, they answered the question number one the same as you did. Uh, if you didn't answer the number one question the same, uh, y'all are a time bomb. You're a time bomb. When you came back from war, you weren't looking to date a girl. You were looking to marry a girl. It's true. You it's know? true. Yep. I, I was ready to settle down, and I was on the warpath. I was looking for a bride, and I knew exactly what I didn't want. Uh, the problem is, uh, you know, you make the list of what you do want, but a list of attributes of, like, that doesn't actually fill out a, a, hu- a female form. I just knew what I didn't want, you know, kind of thing. I didn't know what I did want until I found her. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, I want that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, and it, it was it was quite a, a struggle. And for a while, I thought my expectations were just too high. When I met her, I found out they weren't high enough. Uh, now, in our day and age, a lot of people are giving up. Oh, let me give one more pro. Uh, a pro of getting married younger is you can have kids younger. And if you have kids younger, you can actually enjoy them. You know, you, you have kids at yeah. I've heard of people having kids at like 50, 60 years old. And I'm like, man, you're going to be dead when they're, you know, getting in 60? college. Yeah. No. no, yeah, yeah, yeah. People are doing it. People are doing it. I mean, I know that a man can do mm-hmm. it. I know a man's always mm-hmm. got the juice. Man's got juice till he goes to the grave. But <laughs> ladies, not so much so. But No, well, anyway, uh, you have kids younger. Yeah. You can be there for them their whole lives. And you get to hold your grandkids, uh, you know, as well. And so I, I think that's a really, really good thing. Uh, by the way, if you question the wisdom of what I'm saying, remember that you guys don't like almost anything that's happening in the cultural scene. 
Everything we see across culture is almost antithetical to what you believe in value. And what is culture pushing regarding marriage? Marry later or don't marry at all. And so just by de, de facto, uh, you don't agree with anything that's happening in the cultural scene. Take that as a clue of like, oh, but in that one area they got it right? Probably not. It's probably better to marry younger. If it was, if it was better to uh, wait until you uh, were older to marry, then culture would be pushing marry younger. <laughs> Just whatever culture pushes is bad for you. Uh, I, you know, I say wrong. that in jest, but I kind of mean it. Well, you know, John, something I want to, something I do want to bring up is that um, what you're talking about is really, really hot right now because in the red pill space, especially with men, there is a really large and angry conversation uh, about uh, with men not wanting to marry at all. Yeah. Uh, because they say, look, everything is actually stacked against men being successful. Um, the lady will divorce you. Uh, statistically speaking, I think it's now uh, something something crazy high percentage of women who initiate a divorce. She'll take the kids. She'll take your money. And so why in the world would a man want to marry? Yeah. Everything is stacked against you losing everything. So why even bother? That is that is really, and that's in conservative spheres that yeah. that is gaining traction uh, because uh, it, it's, it's, it, it is so, you mentioned third wave feminism being baked into the cake at this point. Um, because things are so stacked against men, why in the world would I even want to do this if the kids won't end up being mine um, and uh, my resources will all be taken? Uh, prenups are easy to get out of, so why do that? You know, that is something just last week I was listening to a podcast of guys talk that exact, saying those exact same things uh, for there's really no what's the point. You know what's really sad about this? Before I just jump in and intellectually defend marriage, and I actually want to, uh, I want to throw a bone to this crowd because, in some ways, I get where they're coming from. But what is devastatingly sad to me on this is they say it because they've never actually seen a healthy marriage. They've never seen a healthy marriage, not in their family, uh, n- not in the families around them. They've never seen it really work. And they don't know anyone, probably, where it is working well. And so, like, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? And it is, it, it's logical. Of Like, if, if I hadn't experienced the marriage I have, and if I hadn't seen other folks uh, who have, I, I know some folks that have incredible marriages, and what we're sitting on is something that they will never know. Hmm. They'll never even experience it. As if you had some... Uh, person born in a cell and they'd never seen the beach, you could describe it to them, but it wouldn't do anything for them. They just need to go put their feet in the surf and sand themselves. And they're like, wow, this is it. It's one thing to tell you about something, but it's another thing to actually see it and taste it, touch it, experience it. And if they had seen a really healthy marriage modeled before, I don't think they would have arrived at that conclusion. I think they would have, uh, for me, because uh, I'm sympathetic to some of the argument, especially this. There, there's This is a story that plays out all across America, uh, but uh, th- this has happened. Uh, a woman cheats on her husband, has an affair. Man finds out, uh, and they end up getting a divorce. She gets full custody of the kids, especially in the South. You get full custody immediately just assigned to the wife. Uh, and she stays in the home with now her live-in boyfriend and the kids while you go get a little apartment and pay alimony. 
And hopefully you get to visit your kids once in a while on visitation. And, per, and that story, and, and and this and scenario, that story is yeah. exactly what drives uh, the red pill space crazy. It, it, it is, if you're intellectual and you have not seen a healthy marriage, yeah. it is hard to not, to not take that as the narrative. Yeah. And, and so, that, well, your story just drives me nuts. Unless you have some grievous reason why 50-50 custody shouldn't be assigned or let the kids choose, and so it's weighted a little bit more. Man, there, there's no way to uh, perfectly not hurt the kids and not hurt anyone in a divorce. A divorce just hurts everyone. It just does. So there's no solution that's going to be tidy and perfect. Uh, but we found out from all kinds of statistics that kids actually do need their fathers. If you have a father in the home, it immediately pulls down all these sociological ills that otherwise will pop up. If you got a dad in the home, a uh, girl's less likely to get pregnant as a teenager. Uh, kids are less likely to end up in jail. They are less likely, far less likely to end up addicted to some kind of substance abuse. The statistics rattle on and on, but all of it surmounts to kids really, really need a dad in the house. And so the very first thing is a man should have far more access to their kids and something like that. Uh, also, women should not be incentivized by the government to divorce their husbands. And right now, that, mm. that, is, that is a That's system. That's a big piece of it. Uh, so the government will give you lots of money if you decide to crank out a bunch of kids yeah. outside of wedlock and you keep leaving husbands. You can make it, uh, well— I'm sympathetic to single moms because some people have a bad shake, but there's other people right. that milk the system. Right. And well, uh, I don't want economic incentive from the government to uh, leave a marriage. And that's why the percentages are so wildly swinging to women divorcing because the incentive structure heavily incentivizes women divorcing. Yeah. Whereas it, you know, not at all for the men. And that's why statistically some people argue that you're seeing that swing. Yeah. For exactly the reason that you said. Now, I immediately say that I'm like, that needs to get fixed. I don't know what to do about it, but I definitely, you know, of like, I, I know some widowers and some single moms, and immediately I'm kind of like, I want to scoop those gals up and help take care of them, and we'll pull those into our church family and take care of single moms. And so uh, it, it's not like just hang them out to dry so that the men can have their, you know, it's, it's you not know what's that. what's interesting, John? It almost feels like this is almost less an issue with marriage as it is more an issue with divorce culture. Mm. Right. And so I wonder if the red pill men are confusing something. They are confusing marriage with the term divorce. Yeah. And they're they're doubling down on divorce where the thing that it really and and they're bypassing the the best elements of a marriage, as you said, the, it's possible they've never seen one. So they don't know what well, they're comparing it to. The problem is I can't I can't shake the red pillars awake so that they can understand one, you're never going to experience the depths of life giving, joyful a transparent, vulnerable intimacy with a spouse when you're just dating them. They'll be like, yeah, you can. I'm like, no, I've dated seriously, and I've been married for a very long time. And you guys are not touching anything close to what I've experienced. If you had, you wouldn't be making your argument. So one, you guys don't know what you're missing. And number two, you red pill guys will die alone. You're going to date a gal for years and years, and one day... You know, just decide, no, no thanks. Especially she starts uh, getting older and you trade her in for a younger model, you know, and on and on. Older men, especially you got some means, you just keep trading in and getting a younger model. Commitment doesn't work that way. You, you know, need your desire to grow old 
<laughs> with your spouse. So your standard of beauty is attached yep. to a girl that grows old with you. Yep. And one day, hand in hand, you'll pass into the next life together. Uh, and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing you red pillars will never have. John, it's really important because uh, there is a book by Brad Wilcox. He ta- it's called Get Married. And in this book, uh, I got uh, some um, lines from it before its launch is that the number one indicator of a successful marriage is um, is not what you would think. It, it, it's, it's perceived commitment to the other person. Mm. That is the number one driver of a successful marriage is if there is perceived commitment to the other person. If you perceive the person is committed to you, you will be committed to them. No kidding. And that is the one. Of, it is the greatest driver of successful. This is what's crazy. Is that statistic was actually even across the board between conservatives and liberals. Wow, how about that? That, that idea of, of of commitment. So, you know, uh, left leaning relationships, wh- whatever they're putting on social media, the idea though of being committed till death do us part is the integral number one player yeah. in a successful long-term relationship. What's the foundation? It is the safety and security that you can actually present your real self to be loved from. Other, so other than that, you are playing to some degree. Uh, you both have your own little avatars that are married to each other. It's not fully you married to her. It's your little avatars that you present to each other without the safety of you cannot get out of this marriage. It's till death do us mm-hmm. part. All right, guys, listening on podcast. That's it for you guys today. We went way in on that. Uh, ben, we've got some hot topics coming up. What, what are we going to be talking about? What are the... Hey, John. Well, I've got some spicy spices for you. We're going to be talking about Aerosmith. We're going to be talking about Jamel Bowman. We're going to be talking about Navy SEALs. So you don't want to miss that over the network. Sign up at watchwpsn.com. After signing up, you can download the app and listen in on whatever kind of technology you're rocking. Thanks for tuning in, guys. See you next time.